Welcome to the Confidently You podcast. My name is Amber and I am your confidence coach, specializing in communication and personal transformation. I practice this through feng shui and organization, coaching, neuro-linguistic programming, hypnotherapy, and all that spirituality woo-woo. My mission in life and goal with this podcast is to help you achieve total freedom and optimize your life by building confidence within your mind, body, and spirit. I'm here to tell you that confidence is not something that you earn, but rather something that you learn. And with confidence, personal, time, and financial freedom are already manifesting deep within you. So if you love personal development, spirituality, and shit that blows your mind, then you are exactly where you are meant to be. I already know we're going to evolve to a whole other level together. So without further ado, let's take the next step on your journey of becoming confidently you. Hello, Confident Soul. Welcome back to another episode of the Confidently You podcast. If we haven't met before, my name is Amber and I am your host on your confidence building journey. And today is a very special episode. Uh, In this episode, I feature my new friend that I made in the online world, Lilith Elena. We met in a manifestation program that we are taking together and bonded because we share the same human design profile. We're both projectors. Lilith is a human design and clarity coach specializing in self-mastery for projectors. Her best skills are seeing the highest potential in others, recognizing patterns, sensing roadblocks, and someone's needs before they appear, efficiency of energy and resources, and amplifying success in others. As a self-projected projector, she incorporates plenty of time for rest and rejuvenation, as well as fun, creativity, and learning into her schedule. She's currently most active on Instagram, but has a new Twitch stream talk show starting up in May every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and will be co-hosting with another fellow projector about a range of topics from the outsider's perspective. She's currently creating human design courses and an in-depth human design ebook that will debut during 2021. And I love this this conversation with Lilith because we are both projectors by human design. I've mentioned human design once or twice on the podcast before, and I know that a lot of people are unfamiliar with it. But so in a nutshell, human design is the science of differentiation. It's your energetic blueprint blueprint in how you show up in the world and how your energy interacts with the world and the people in it. It's truly fascinating stuff. And with the small the small window of time that I've known about it, which is maybe only since February, it's truly changed my life and the dynamics of my relationships and how I communicate with people. And because communication is my heart-led passion, I utilize human design as a tool in my business by looking at it through the lens of communication. So in other words, how can the knowledge of our human design help us show up in our lives as our most confident selves and communicate with that confident energy? And this looks so different for each person. 
And in this episode, Lilith and I open up our conversation by discussing our experiences with processing and releasing emotions to maintain connection with our higher selves. So trigger warning, we do discuss discuss past coping mechanisms, self-harm, and disordered eating. Afterwards, we dive into human design a little bit and share our experiences and what we've learned from this knowledge. And I have to laugh at myself. I was so damn excited about this episode with Lilith that I got all flustered when we hopped on Zoom together. I think when we first log on, I, I actually, and I introduce her, I actually call her by her second name instead of Lilith. <laughs> so that was embarrassing, but hey, I'm human and she was so kind about it. So mad props to you, Lilith. Thank you for that. Um, We also had a bunch of technical trouble during this episode, so hopefully the sound quality is spot on and is seamless. I'm very blessed. My partner, he's so awesome. He started editing my podcast episodes for me to lighten my load and because he actually seems to enjoy it. So love you, babe. Thank you. You are the best. But anyways, enough of me being a little chatterbox here. Let's dive into the episode with Lilith. Hello, Elena. Welcome to the Confidently You podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. I think we're going to have such a great conversation today. So hello, hello. Hey. (laughs) I love this topic that we are going to dive into today. Um, For you listeners, we are going to be talking about emotions and how we want to eradicate the stigma about... Uh, expressing emotions and sharing emotions because they are such a normal, perfectly normal human, part of the normal human experience. And so Elena and I are going to be talking about our journey of overcoming um, the fear of letting your emotions get the best of you and um, just sharing our experiences and having a conversation about that. So Elena, I'd love if you opened up and shared whatever you feel called to about your journey and your experience. Ooh, that's a dangerous thing to say. <laughs> it could literally go any which way. <clears throat> yeah, thank you for having me on here. I'm really excited to talk about um, this because it's just like you already said, it's such a stigma for anybody to show emotions. And it's like been such a repeating pattern throughout my own life. And I think the biggest time was when I was younger, um, not too much younger, maybe about four to six years ago. And I lost my grandma and the normal quote unquote response is grief, obviously, but to what degree you actually feel it and allow yourself to express it is all over the charts for people. And one of the things I think really started me down this whole path of like, why is this such a bad thing for me to be expressing? because I was told that I was making a scene and it's like, I'm crying. (laughs) How is that me making a scene? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Crying is such a normal expression of joy, even, you know, sadness of so many different things because it's just a release. And it was just mind blowing to me that during this time of such despair and sadness, that crying was, um, categorized as a scene. So I think that's like where I really want to start with this and kind of get mm-hmm. talking about why, why the world is triggered by 
emotions. And I know that you're, um, I'm a human design person. So I know that you're an emotional authority and you're actually Mm -hmm. one of the most aware emotional authorities that I know, which is like amazing to me. Yeah. (laughs) It's absolutely amazing to me because I'm an open emotional or a non-emotional. So I feel and flow with the emotions of the people around me. So it's totally normal for me to have amplified the feeling of grief and everything when that happened, because I wasn't just feeling my own grief. I was feeling everybody else's. And then the people like um, some of my family members are emotional authorities and they have a defined emotional center. And they were like some of the least expressive (laughs) in that situation because they're just so used to avoiding and pushing down what they're feeling. Same thing with my boyfriend. Like we've gotten him to a place now where he knows how to work through it. Like once we start, you know, talking about it, but originally, I mean, it was trigger central (laughs) trying to get him to open up. So I think it'd be really interesting also to hear how you became so aware of your own emotions. So I think that would help a lot of people too. Mm, Yeah. That in itself is, is quite a journey from, for me personally, I used to, um, I used to bury my emotions into the act of binging and purging. So instead of, um, allowing my emotion emotions to process through my body, I would indulge in, in foods that, cause it's actually interesting, like, um, being a child and, you know, children don't have access to drugs, but they do have access to sugar. And so I would find myself coming home and I would have a day and I would, I'm not even exaggerating. I would eat like four to eight pieces of toast with honey on them and just binge eat. And then as I got older, I continue to binge eat, but then I would purge. And that is how I would release. And it's, it's really weird to me how I even like found myself in such a low place in myself at such a young age, but that is, I I somehow became exposed to the idea of binging and purging. I, I don't know. I'd heard about it, like from people trying this and for whatever reason, I felt compelled to try this, uh, because I wasn't, I didn't feel safe talking about my feelings and it's just not something that, you know, we're necessarily taught how to do, how to, um, uh, intelligently and intentionally manage our feelings and our emotions and what they even mean. And so I found myself binging and purging and I would experience this release and then I felt better, but then I also felt worse because I was doing something that was obviously fueled by self-harm. Um, but I felt, I felt a release, which, which made me feel good. Um, and it was, you know, struggling with that for 10 years or so and finally getting to a rock bottom that I was like, I got to change something. This obviously is not working for me. This is a horrible thing that I'm doing to myself. And so instead I just became, I had to like, look inward, like, what is it that I'm trying to release? And I became, I I was in counseling and it was my counselor that um, introduced the idea to me that emotions are 
are simply a physiological experience. If you allow it to happen, what is coming is going. Even though it's here, if you just give yourself a moment to process it, it will go away. And then you feel better. It was um, that came about because um, I was afraid to cry in front of my counselor. Like it, it felt shameful to me to cry in front of her, even though it was a totally safe space, right? Like that is what she's trying to facilitate for me, right? But I felt so much resistance towards crying in front of her. But then she, she just very calmly and compassionately looked at me and said, it's okay. You're feeling this right now and just allow it to move through your body and really like feel it through your body and, and lean into it. And then it will go away. And sure enough, it did. And I felt felt so much better. And it was the same thing or the same sort of results that I would experience through binging and purging. And once it was just that simple, like light bulb moment, it's like, Oh, I don't have to do horrible things to my body. I can just allow it to do what it's meant to do and everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it was like through that process that, you know, just that simple bit of awareness and, um, and how that really like transformed how I viewed my emotions. And then studying language and being able to put words to things, not to like put myself in a box, but to um, gain clarity on what it is that I was experiencing. That's really how that unfolded for me. So how did that, how did that unfold for you? Good grief. I, there's like, I love, I love your journey. I love that story. Mm -hmm. It's so real and there's so many different, I was making notes because there's so many different places that I can take this and I want to start <laughs> just at the beginning. <laughs> Please do. And one of the things that really struck a chord with me is, you know, obviously when you were younger, you were using sugar as your binging and then it became binging and purging and it just became a cycle because that was the way that you found release. And I think it's so important to note that uh, they can't technically diagnose depression in young children or children or like really anyone below a certain age. <clears throat> but I feel like there are so many children that actually feel as though they have some sort of depressive episode. And it's not because necessarily that they are depressed, but they don't understand themselves enough to know what to do when they feel a certain way. So then they do like you did, they either binge on different things or they, you know, just kind of avoid it and push it down. And there you go. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And it'll come up later in therapy. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, and so I think it's so important to also teach kids coping skills and not, and also not like shield them from you know, the, the depressing things of this world. I think it's so important to have them understand what sadness, grief, and all these different things feel like, or could be, or whatever it is, and then teach them how to like cope with it in a way that is healthy rather than shielding them from it. And then they experience it later. And they're like, I don't know what the fuck to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's taking a proactive approach instead of a reactive approach. Right. And all it takes is maybe, I mean, 30 minutes to an hour a week. And I know that maybe some people don't have 
you know, a ton of time with their kids for that. But I mean, this is like skills, life skills that they're going to need for everything in the future for any bullying that they go through. Because I mean, all kids go through bullying. It's just to what degree. So bullying or um, so that way they don't become a victim of their circumstances later in life for finding a good job and knowing the right work environment for them and not being taken advantage of, like in not being in toxic relationships. I mean, there's so many things that could be proactively like just nipped in the bud. Versus- it's strengthening. Yeah. It's strengthening their personal power. Mm-hmm. Really. We yeah. have an, um, we have an emotional body and it's about time that we start learning how to use it. Yeah. And recognizing it. Yeah. And yeah. not feeling ashamed of it. Like you said. So that brings me to my, my next story. So we're actually going to go even before. So before I lost my grandma, so I was like maybe 22 years old when I lost my grandma. So when I was 13, however, sometime around 13, maybe 14, maybe 12, um, I started to self-harm because I didn't understand myself. I felt so misunderstood, so alone, and so much like I was just wrong for being who I am that I had no other rationale of how to deal with it. So I was self-harming. And one of the things that actually was the pinnacle of it, I self-harmed on and off for about eight years. So all throughout my like high school, middle school and high school from seventh grade and on, maybe a little bit earlier. And through that time, I also had to deal with um, my lifestyle completely changing because I got two shots too close together and it completely mutated my immune system. And I got an autoimmune disease from that. So now I have celiac disease and all these other food allergies that actually physically manifest in my body as a skin rash. And it's like one of the most painful things. So, I mean, again, had no other way of coping with that. Nobody understood it because it's like one in, I mean, I don't even know how many people, like there's maybe only 30,000 people that experience this disease the way that I do. So that's a very small percentage. Mm -hmm. So I had no idea how to cope with that. I mean, nobody knew how to help me either because I mean, you know, it's not their fault. It's just it, you know, we didn't know. I went undiagnosed for 13 months and six days, living in hell of my entire body, just feeling like it was on fire. And it was just like, I I actually got to the point, I laugh about it, but it's a nervous laugh. Um, (laughs) Just wanted to throw that out there. (laughs) I'm not laughing because of, you know, anything else. It's just the nervous laughter. Um, I actually got to a point where, like, I wanted to skin myself because of how painful it was. And again, I mean, I'm a teenager at this point. I was 16 years old when this happened. Imagine all the other shit that you already have to deal with as a teenage girl. Yeah. (laughs) And now you also have to deal with this too. So it was just, it was so bad. I was losing so much sleep anyways. So moving like past that, coped with it, tried to cope with it on my own. Like again, doing all of this on my own. And then I went to college and that was like the peak of my depression and my self-harm. And there was one semester that I went and lived on campus and then I moved home. And when I moved home, I just so in case for whatever reason, if my mom's listening to this, mom, I love you. I know that you didn't mean it this way. So just, (laughs) yeah. Anyways, so I went home and I mean, my arm was all, all sorts of 
effed up. And I went and I asked for help. That was the first time that I have ever asked for help like with this. And I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I need help. I don't, I don't know how to feel <laughs> like, essentially, I don't understand this. And it was the only way that I could express my feelings at the time. And without like a split second of a thought, my mom turned around and said, you can't blame this on me. And I was like, I, what? <laughs> I'm not trying to blame this on you. Like, this has nothing to do with you. This is, this is everything to do with me. Like, I'm telling you that I want to see help. I want to go somewhere, get help and learn something. I just, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm an 18 year old person. Like I don't, if I haven't been taught this up until now, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. You know, who am I supposed to look to? Adults, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So didn't get help at that time. Again, just went through. And that's really, I think, where I started getting, I was already into psychology before this, but that's where it really started peaking. And I am very thankful that I love knowledge as much as I do. And I love learning as much as I do, because I have textbooks of psychology that I have read on my own for my own personal well-being and like learning rather than actually taking a class for it. And that is what helped me cope up until the time where my grandma passed away. And then so much other shit was going on at that time. And it wasn't until I went to therapy, I think six months to eight months afterwards of my grandma passing away, like there was just so much chaotic shit happening that I was like, I don't know how to handle all these things at once. <laughs> Please help me. I have no idea what to do. And I felt the same way as you. When I first got in there, I was like, mask is still on. I'm still yeah. not going to show my emotions because I, again, I don't know how. She made it very like accepting and like comfortable in there. And I, I love my therapist. Like she was absolutely amazing for anyone who's like <laughs> thinking that there's still a stigma around therapy, please. Everyone needs a therapist, even if you know, whatever <laughs> your friends and your boyfriend, whoever, they're not your therapist, find an actual therapist. They're freaking amazing or life coach, whatever. Yeah. Um, but the first times that I was crying about my grandma in there, cause I only talked about my grandma for the first six months that I was going to sessions. Cause that was the thing I needed the most help with. I had dealt with toxic relationships before I had dealt with being disliked before I had dealt with feeling misunderstood. You know, I knew how to kind of handle those things, maybe not all at once, but at least that it was the grief that I didn't know what to do with. So for the first six months, all I talked about was her. And I mean, it went from me not crying at all to me crying every single session that I was in there because I had so much to release. And I just, you know, it's, it really just speaks to, we need to start teaching. We need to proactively like show people, show our kids how to release emotions, how to cope and how to get this out of their bodies. So that way they don't feel the way that, you know, you and I have felt in the past. Mm-hmm. It's so important to bring awareness to how bottling up emotions physically manifests as dis-ease in the body and um, other mm, forms of mental illness, et cetera. Like how much of this can we avoid if we simply had 
emotional awareness and emotional intelligence. Like, I mean, I mean, no disrespect to anyone that is on uh, medication for mental health reasons. You know, I, I believe that there is a, a place for that. And, and for some people, that is the answer. But for myself, the way that I see it, if you are only relying on medication as your way to cope with mental illness, you're actually limiting yourself to what your body has this inherent beautiful power to do. It has the power to heal itself and medication potentially masks that ability to t- tune into yourself because it, it, it dulls receptors. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're not able to make those intelligent and informed, emotional, intuitive uh, connections, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. You're not as able to do that when you are medicated. And it's unfortunate that we now um, have a society where, you know, you go to a psychiatrist and it's assumed that you're going there to get, you're going there to get medication. And that's the answer when we're not, we're not informing our children. We're not informing them that there is a more holistic way that works, but you have to be open to trying it. And but that also comes from us not allowing our children to feel safe because of our own um, our own lack of knowledge too, and how we pass that own lack of knowledge onto our children, and that translates them into not feeling safe into expressing their emotions. And we try to suppress um, emotions that um, are uncomfortable. I even notice that in myself. Like, of course, I'm not a perfect parent by any means, but. In my son, like I'm currently struggling with him with being screechy. So he like screeches all the time. And I know it's because he wants something, but you know, by the end of the day, when he's been screeching all day, I get very impatient with him and I like tell him to stop, like stop doing that instead of me taking a deep breath, allowing my patients to pervade and say, what do you need? Communicate with me what you need, which I will do that earlier in the day, but at some point I get tired of it and I, my energy is drained and, you know, and that's another battle too. Like it, it takes patience to, to learn how to navigate your emotional body. I think it's really important what you said there too. Like by the end of the day, most people are already drained from everything else that's gone on that's why people get home from their nine-to-five job and they just turn on the tv and then they just zone out because that's Mm -hmm. the easiest thing to do it conserves your own energy you don't have to think about anything else and I mean that's something that I experienced with you know earlier in my life because I would get so drained from going to school I love learning but there are certain things that I don't want to learn because I you know I'm told that I have to learn it and I don't see how it could be used in my own future, like trigonometry, <laughs> but you know, that's neither here nor there, <laughs> but um, there's two things that I wanted to touch on. And I think the, the first one will go by a little bit quicker is it's so pertinent these days that I think we need to get back to what we used to do as a tribe with raising kids in a community of people that really can help you. Like, I, like you said, you know, you go through the entire day and then by the end of the day, 
you have this like burst of like, okay, please just stop. Like, I'm, I'm so annoyed. <laughs> like, you know, I've breathed and went through it the rest of the time, but it's like, you need a community, not only for your own satisfaction or not satisfaction, but like validation and like support, but also like to pass along, let's say one person watches the kids this day. Another person watches the kids this day. Another person watches the kids this day. You know what I mean? That way you get the time to recuperate your own energy at the end of the day before you have to do it all again the next day. And yes, there will be one day where you will have to take on that responsibility of, you know, watching everybody else's kids, depending on how many people are in your tribe or whatever. But you can at least prepare for that. And then preparing for that really comes down to like self-care, learning your own ways and flow of energy, learning everything that you can to help you like stack up your energy for later in the day. Cause usually um, I was listening to one of your podcast episodes. I think it was, and she was talking about the breadcrumbs. Yeah. Think of it like a loaf of bread. And Mm -hmm. that really made it click for me. And I was like, that's a really good analogy for it. I don't remember her name. What was her name? Uh, Courtney McRae. She's a habits coach. Yeah. Love her. Yeah. I also really resonate with that example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just so important to like, think, okay, every single decision that you are making throughout the day is dropping a breadcrumb. So the less decisions you have to make along the way, the more energy you will have to do not only the things that you have to do, but the things that you truly want to do as well especially if you're going to a nine to five job or somewhere that you have to spend, you know, eight hours to 12 hours at a place. And then you only have this little sliver of time afterwards. Like, okay, what can you preemptively do? It's the same thing about being proactive. Just being proactive is so much easier and so much healthier than being reactive because reactive just comes from a more negative sense. Being proactive is more positive. Mm. I also think that when you are being proactive initially to, to get to a place of being proactive, it might be more difficult, which is why I think Mm. it's, it's a daunting thing for people to think about like, Oh, making a schedule for myself or, Oh, making a morning routine because getting started is the hardest part. But once Mm -hmm. you have it in place, once you have, um, systems in place and, and whatnot, it becomes a habit and habits take less energy yeah totally and then you mentioned yeah go ahead I was (laughs) gonna say you have something else to to add so go ahead (laughs) thank you um it's also when you say when you were saying that we were passing down things the disease in ourselves and it passes down and that just really reminds me of like all of the generational trauma that people who are living in this period of time are here to clear up not only for themselves but from, you know, generations before and after them. So I have actually two, two stories. Um, this, this first one isn't a story of mine, but it's a story of somebody that I know that we've talked before. And she's told me this. So she comes from a family that is very, keep it in the family, quote unquote. Like you don't show your skeletons to other people, that kind of stuff. And generation to generation, the women have been sexually abused. So how do you deal with that? You deal with that quote unquote in the family. And she was the one to break that pattern and leave the situation because she had the personal strength 
to say, no, this isn't right. I don't want to just hide this. Like, why are we hiding this? (laughs) This makes no sense. This is sacrificing me for something that isn't like good. I don't, I don't know the right word for it, but you know, and it just, once she stood up for herself, you could see the ripple effect from either cousins, siblings, friends, parents, grandparents, all being like, oh, we can actually stand up for this. Mm -hmm. And her grandparents actually said that they would stand with her and support her. And her mom felt a little, you know, tinge of jealousy on that because they didn't do that for her. But she herself was like, no, I'm doing this even if nobody stands with me. And that's when other people stood with her. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just so important to like, no matter, it doesn't have to be something as extreme as that, you know, because it could be the self-harm. It could be the binging and purging. Like, obviously you're probably going to, you know, educate your child about that going forward and all these other things, because you now know, and you know a better Mm -hmm. way around it. Same thing for me when I have kids, that's going to be one of my main aspects of like, okay, I know that you are going to need these things because these are, this is the shit I didn't have. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's kind of like that whole mentality of you always want better for your kids than you had. Mm-hmm. It's true, but it's also true in so many different perspectives than just the original like monetary or safety or, you know, those basic survival needs. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, really cool. So this is the second story. So in the course that you and I are in together, the, I don't know if you've done the inner child meditation yet. Okay. So I did that inner child meditation and I had this grand realization. So her name is manifestation, babe, if you don't know her. And she was taking you through, taking you back to all the times where your inner child needed you to all the times where your inner child needed somebody who was able to comfort them, who was able to tell them that they are safe, who was able to accept them for who they are and just give them the sense of security that they needed at that time. And when I came out of this meditation, I had this realization because when I was younger, I would pray. Uh, I'm Christian and I was raised Christian and I mean, I've been all over the place with that since then, but I prayed to God at the time. And I was like, I just, I just want some sort of peace, some sort of solace. And there were a few times when it got really, really bad that I was praying for it. And I felt a warmth radiating from my heart to the rest of my body. And that was the moment that I knew that there was something bigger out in the world than just me and that it, you know, could be who, uh, whatever it is, however you want to describe it. But I had the realization that in those moments in the past, I thought it was God that was coming to warm me up today or the other day. I realized that it was me in the future coming back mm. to be there for myself. Because when I finally did that meditation, it felt correct. It felt familiar. It felt like I had been there before. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, wow. Amazing. That's a wonderful experience. I really need to go back and do, do that 
meditation, I did do it. Um, I realized I did not have the picture with me, but I was already like in bed and I was like, oh, I'll get it another time. But I wish I would have had a picture of myself so that I would have had that nice visualization. And um, I kind of fell asleep in the meditation. But, but um, on that note, um, Catherine said something one time that maybe it was during the breathwork sessions that we were doing. Um, she said, if you find yourself falling asleep, know that it's okay. And that maybe that is your soul's way of taking you to somewhere else. Cause you're not ready to face what it is that is going to come up for you in this session. So I am accepting that I did not have the profound experience that I was hoping for, but it's maybe it's because I wasn't ready for it. Um, but I've brought awareness to that now. So when I go back and do it, I will be more um, accepting and open to whatever is going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's also like, you don't always have to process everything consciously. You can Mm. process it subconsciously too. So the fact that you fell asleep, your subconscious was out there doing its thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I I definitely uh, see the value in that as well, especially... Um, now that I'm a hypnotherapist and I understand like these things more that, you know, sometimes people do fall asleep during hypnosis, but that doesn't mean that their unconscious mind was shut off. It just means that they're on a different brain wavelength and they take in information slightly differently. So, right. Yeah, totally. Please check out episode 18 for part two of this episode. Thank you so much for listening and we'll connect with you there.